time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 71 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget. Today we're brewing coffee that was sent to us from White Horse Coffee Roasters. What kind of coffee is that we're brewing today, Holly? This is the absolutely delicious Grand Prix Roast. And it is good. It smells amazing. And it really, it's delicious coffee, clean roasted and environmentally friendly. It is so good. good. And this is a little cafe, woman-owned in Pennsylvania. Also, you can get it online. Yeah, you can. Whitehorsecoffeeroasters.com. I'll go ahead and link that in the show notes. That would be great. Thank you to them for sending us this coffee. Yeah, it's great. So, are you ready to sip some of this delicious Grand Prix roast coffee and chat? I'm halfway through this cup, but yeah, I'm ready to (laughs) chat. So, I'm super excited about multiple things. Uh Uh-huh. Number one. My hubby's birthday was over the weekend. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Joe. Happy birthday, Joe. We went out. We had dinner together. We had a nice weekend. So much fun celebrating. Yeah. And we actually got to eat a piece of cake and ice cream. As you know, we're eating clean eating right now. Uh So that cake for somebody's birthday is even more delicious. Oh, yeah. The other thing is we have some special new family members coming this week. The chicks arrived this week. I know. I'm so excited. Yeah, I can't wait. Have you been getting everything ready? Oh, yeah, yeah. Last year's chicks we did in the basement. Yeah. And then when we hatched the nankin eggs later in the summer, we did them in the garage. Right. And it was so much easier in the garage. We have a utility sink right there. So we set up the garage, moved the ceramic kiln to the side and covered it. Yeah. And we have their- Because you're not working with pottery right now. And the dust could get in the kiln. Yeah. So that's all covered. The brooder set up. Everything is ready to go. So you and I, not only we're besties, we're getting chicks together, doing all this, but now you've moved your brooder into where my brooder is, the garage. Does that bring us closer together? That's just one step closer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes my life a lot easier. I mean, we sat from sixth grade up next to each other. So uh, I don't know how we could get much closer. We're still sitting next to each other at a table. We're excited. I got out my heat lamp. I've got out my brooder plate. I'm making sure everything is working. Yeah. Yeah, we did all of that. We tested everything. We checked everything. We cleaned everything. Everything's ready to go. Plugged in that Brincy brooder plate. Make Uh sure that's getting nice and warm for them. That's when you need both heat sources. And we talked about this in the quick guide to chicks is when they're in a garage or a basement, someplace that's not getting heated as the house would. I mean, April in the mid-Atlantic can get chilly. It's chilly. I mean, even into May, sometimes it gets chilly. It's been chilly. At the end of March, it was like 24 degrees overnight. And then it was also 70 degrees the week before. I know. It's crazy weather. Either way, having the heat lamp really gives them what they need. I think in a garage, they definitely need it. Yeah. And, you know, the brooder, it's best to have the brooder set up waiting where they just go right in. Oh, yeah. They can get warm. Hot ready to go, yeah. Yep, exactly. So we're patiently, or should we say not patiently, waiting for our package. Yes, we are. Okay. So, yeah, those are the big things going on on my side. What's going on with you? The same things that are usually going on. Lots of animal stuff, setting up the garden. Yeah. You know, getting ready for the chicks. And remember, I bought that 25 pounds of stoneware. You were talking about it a few weeks ago. I have not opened the box. (laughs) Instead, I was seized with the desire to start spinning yarn again. Oh, yeah. I was talking to you the other day. Yes. So I am spinning large quantities of yarn right now. Yay. We're through the winter, but you were supposed to make us our Snuggies versus, what what were we going to call them? Cocoonies? Yeah. Cocoonies. For the basement. In my spare time. (laughs) I mean, Lord knows we've got a lot of it. I am spinning. This will make you laugh because I don't think you ever met him. It's one of my alpacas. Okay. Who was chocolate brown alpaca named eBay. Uh, you've talked about him. I yeah. Know and eBay was this beautiful chocolate brown color. So I had his fleece blended with a bit of chocolate brown wool. Right. It is so soft and so gorgeous. And I'm just having a great time spinning it. That's nice. Do you play music when you do this? Sometimes podcasts. Yeah. Sometimes music, sometimes audiobooks. Or the dogs keep you company. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I prefer <laughs> listening to something pleasant, but yeah, there's usually so, barking. Everyone knows we record on Fridays, and this morning I recorded a reel for Instagram where it was talking about, it was the Cinderella sing Sweet uh-huh. Nightingale. Yeah. And I said to Holly, 
play this because I loved it. And when they started singing, your dogs started like they almost crazy. howling because they were like, somebody please turn this yeah, off. They were not so- happy with that music. Not at all. <laughs> they were like, no. what is going on? Nope. Nope. <laughs> it was so funny. It was funny. Let me just take a minute to ask a big favor to everyone out there. If you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. We love it. Also, if you can, hit that subscribe button. It would make a world of difference for our podcast. We love reading those reviews. It's so much fun. It means the world to us. If you subscribe, it means you never miss an episode. Never. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media. You can head over to Etsy to see the t-shirts we have on sale. You can become a patron of the show. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. We have lots of fun. Yeah, we do. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast, visit our show notes and use our affiliate links to buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. From now until the end of March, you can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens or ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEELADIES25. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chicken? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. It is so soft and so cute. In the March Box, I absolutely love the String of Fabric Prosperity Chickens and the Blank Watercolor Chicken Note Card. I love those amazing chicken salt and pepper shakers. They look so cute in my kitchen. And Strong Animal Chicken Essentials has their flock fixer in the box. You can't go wrong with it. Boxes start at $39. They ship immediately after your purchase, and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. La, 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 And now it's the time for the Breed Spotlight. Yes! Breed Spotlight. <laughs> We're doing a German chicken today. This week's Breed Spotlight is... The Bielefelder. The Bielefelder. It's a very odd name for chicken, but it is a name because guess what? It's a town, or is it? Yeah. So the Biel- people are like, what are you talking right? about? The Bielefelder is sometimes called the Uber chicken. Yeah, Uber. Yeah, that's Uber <laughs> yeah, chicken. Yeah, it's yeah. Uber. It is a standard-sized chicken that originated in Germany in the 1970s. Right. A lot of good things happened in the 1970s. We've said this before, but yeah. we were born in the 70s, so yeah. And so was this chicken. They are large, beautiful, creel-patterned chickens. Yes, they are. That pretty much have something for everyone. Yeah. They're considered dual-purpose. They're also extremely gentle and friendly. Yep. They're auto-sexing. Which is a plus for a lot of people out there. If you don't want ever any chance of rooster, this is a good choice. Right. They also lay large pinky brown eggs. I love those colors. Right. And there's even a bantam version. There literally is something for everyone. There is something for everyone. So you were talking about, is there a town called (laughs) Bielefeld? Or is there? Or is there? I was geeking out a little bit on this, but it made me laugh. So there's this old internet joke, like for, back from the 90s, right? that says the city of Bielefeld, Germany, does not exist. It's not there. It's not there. Even Chancellor Angela Merkel once joked about it in a speech. So if you run into somebody and they mention Bielefeld, the way the joke goes mm-hmm. is you say, do you know anybody from Bielefeld? No. Have you ever been to Bielefeld? No. Do you know anyone <laughs> who has ever been to Bielefeld? No. Well, guess what? <laughs> This chicken has come from Bielefeld. <laughs> now that's a funny joke. Uh, <laughs> the Bielefelder, like another chicken we recently profiled. Oh, yes. The Death Layer. Yes. The Bielefelder <laughs> was developed in the North Rhine-Westphalia region in the town of Bielefeld by a man named Gerd, or is it Gerd? Do you pronounce that? <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Roth. Gerd or Gerd Roth. He crossed French Malines and Wellsommers with okay. barred rocks. 
Okay. So the autosexing comes from the barred rocks. Really? Because barred rocks are not autosexing breeds. They're not. But barred rocks have been used with a lot of birds for autosexing. Really? I think if you use a barred cockerel, the barring is incomplete, but it shows up differently on the chick. Okay. But yeah, there's something about the DNA with the barred rock, the barring okay. pattern itself that causes autosexing. You learn something new every day. I did not know. I mean, I've known that they were used in the breeze, but I did not know that was the purpose. Right. I mean, I didn't delve into this super, super deeply because, you know, DNA stuff gets complicated. This might be something that we talk about later. Right, right. So the foundation breeds, we know for sure, are the barred rocks. And that gorgeous creel pattern yeah. that could come from the barred malines and mm-hmm. the partridge-colored wellsummers. Right. You can see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. We've also seen the New Hampshire mentioned as a foundation breed, but didn't substantiate it. Okay. We're pretty certain that those first three are foundation breeds, though. Yeah. So if you've never seen a creel color pattern before. Really pretty. It's gorgeous. So the barring is over top of the black-breasted red coloring, and it usually has red or chestnut or gold accents. The way I would describe it is like partridge with barring. And the barring is not black and white barring. Right. It's if golden you're thinking brown of barred. a partridge chicken that's barred, yeah, that's somehow how I would think of it. I They're mean, beautiful. It's beautiful. The roosters are just dropped it gorgeous. So the barring is on every different color that's in there. Yeah, so he has different color highlights. Yeah, and the heads, it's a little more subtle, but still gorgeous. I mean, people would pay a lot of money for those highlights. Oh heck yeah, yeah. Be in the chair for hours. I know. <laughs> the Bielefelder was first shown in Germany. In 1976. Okay. And at that time, they were called the Deutsch Kenhun, which translates... We know is chicken. Right, right. So... That translates to something like autosexing German chicken. Yes. I know we have German listeners. I apologize for massacring these, <laughs> these words. I'm sorry. In 1980, the Bielefelder were accepted into the German Poultry Club. And at that point, their name was changed to the Bielefelder Kenhun. Yes. Which I guess means autosexing chicken from auto-sexing Bielefeld. Autosexing chicken at the end. Yeah. So the roosters are pretty big. They average about nine-ish pounds. Big boys, yeah. Pretty big. And the hens average around seven. So this is not a small breed. So if you're thinking about adding this breed to your flock, understand that you're gonna have to have the space intended for a larger chicken. Seek out the bantam. No, I didn't find the bantam in the US, but there is a bantam. We have listens in 79 countries around the world. We do. So even though we do not have them in the United States, there could be another country out there that does have that bantam breed. So if you don't have the space and you're somewhere else. I would suspect that Europe is where you can find them. You could find them. Yeah. But seven pounds for a hen, that's large. That's a good size girl. Yeah. yeah. So make sure that you're not having a small coop for bantams. theoretically, if I had a Bielefelder hen, she would go into my Brahma coop. Okay. Well, the Brahmas and the Cochins and the other big chickens. Right. Your coops are bigger than mine. My coops are very big. Yeah. 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 The lovely Bielefelter has a largish straight comb. I say largish. Like they're not enormous. They're not like Mediterranean size, but they're still on the taller size. Right. They have red ear lobes and they have yellow legs. They are pretty. They are pretty. A second color has been developed. There is a silver form, which is also barred. Okay. It looks more like you would expect, like the barred rock or the barred rock. right? Right. Another thing I really love about them, very gentle birds, very good family birds. They're great family birds. And here's the thing we always talk about. Larger birds, fluffier, big birds tend to be friendlier. Often. Uh, yeah. And in that friendlier category for families, less flighty for one reason. They're a little bigger. They can't be flighty. Yeah, they're they not good flyers. <laughs> but they tend to do well with families. I mean, if you have the space and you want a beautiful chicken to show off, this is one that you would add to your flock. Absolutely. You know, we like the heritage breeds and they haven't been around for a super long time, like 50 years. They're young. They're young. Since the yeah. 70s. <laughs> but they're so beautiful and there are so many good things about them. And you know how I am about the heritage breeds. Yeah. And they have turned my head. I've had an eye on them for like the past year or so. We really do try to stick with the heritage breeds. We feel like the genetic lines of these chickens tend to be stronger. Right. They're stronger chickens in general. We're not saying that if you get a hybrid, it's not a strong chicken. But right. what we're saying is the integrity of the lines is there and it keeps them a little healthier and stronger throughout their lives. I mean, their DNA has not been engineered right. to the point that exactly. they develop medical problems or shorter lives, that sort of thing. Exactly. So they're reportedly very good foragers. But this was my concern. Their boring does give them some camouflage from predators, but nowhere did I read that they're predator savvy. I'm not saying they are or they aren't. I'm saying I didn't find it anywhere. That's the thing I find, like, when you come across it and they say they're predator savvy or they're not predator savvy, to me, 
they're kind of all on the same lines. Yes, they can run. They need a place to hide. But unless you protect them from predators, there's right. always a risk of a hawk flying, a fox coming in. I know some very experienced breeders and homesteaders who have chosen a breed because they are predator savvy. And I can see the camouflage could make it so they right. do kind of mix well, in. Well, something like the Dominique is a very camouflaged bird yeah. if you have them at free ranging. But what we're saying is if you're a new owner and you haven't been through years of watching where your birds free range, giving them cover, like the right. experience that comes along with that, don't risk it. Or if you're in a place like us in the Mid-Atlantic that's predator-saturated, it doesn't matter. Don't take the chance. Keep them in a huge covered rod. We only free-range, supervise. Yeah. And if you do have them, a bird like this can put its savviness out there by being camouflaged. So it needs a place to run and hide. So it still will need access to a shelter. Sometimes the big gentle ones just aren't the fastest But they're not the fast. Draw. Yeah. So I don't understand. I guess the savvy comes from the camouflage feathers. Well, like I said, I didn't find it one way or another. I found that they are very good free rangers. They like yeah. to forage. But nowhere did I find for sure that they're great at dodging predators. Uh, right, right. So again, unless you're super experienced, I would not risk it with any of your birds, but yeah, especially not the big gentle ones. So that's the thing that makes them cold hardy is they have a larger body mass. Yep. And the combs and waddles, they will need protection from frostbite. They're straight comb. It's a larger comb, but not super large. So you're still going to need to protect them when the cold elements come. Right. And then on the opposite, it makes it less heat tolerant. Yeah. I mean, they're not feather-legged the way most of my favorite breeds are, but they're still big, fluffy chickens. Yeah. They're just so beautiful. So the first Bielefelders arrived in the U.S. in 2011. And can anybody guess where they were imported to? Green Fire Farms. That's right. Everyone knew. (laughs) Everyone said, Green Fire Farms! (laughs) So there were two unrelated groups that were imported later in 2013 and 2017, also by Green Fire Farm, bringing more bloodlines. We do have to thank Green Fire Farms for bringing in a lot of these breeds, these European breeds Uh that we would not have access to unless they brought them in for us and giving us an opportunity in the U.S. to actually love some of these chickens. Absolutely. I mean, Green Fire Farm has done amazing work when it comes to adding heritage breeds and keeping genetics strong. Okay, so let's go into the fact that they're very good hens at laying. Yes. They're going to be laying 220 plus large brown eggs a year. You know me, I like the Cochins and the Brahmas. I don't care if they lay or not. Yeah. But the reality is that's a really, really good amount of eggs for a big gentle hen. For a big hen, 220 plus is good because generally the bigger hens are in that 150 category. And we all know where I rank that below average. You're hard nose on the egg (laughs) rank, man. And they're speckled eggs. Yeah, they're a brown egg that apparently often has speckles on it. You know we love speckled eggs. Hens rarely go broody, but we've seen some reports of occasional broodiness. We could say any chicken has the potential. Has a potential to go broody. Yeah. You might have one chicken that's like, hey, nobody's being a mom around here. I need to sit on these eggs. Well, and that's one of the things that differentiates them from, say, the Asiatics, who are all yeah. such amazing broody hens. A broody hen is not going to be laying that cuts into her egg number. Right. So if the Bielefelder girls rarely go broody, they're going to be laying. Yeah. So that keeps that egg number up. They're also supposed to mature quite early and start laying sooner than a lot of the heritage breeds do. Which is normally 24 weeks for heritage breeds. So a little sooner is good. We've had heritage breeds that have gone up to like eight months before they start laying. Heck yes. Gertie was such a late Gertie layer. was almost nine months. Yes. And I was scared at one point because <laughs> she was doing the little wing dance. I remember. So both Murray McMurray and Greenfire Farms, if you visit their website, they really sing the praises of the Bielefelder. They both sell them as chicks. Yes. I mean, and talk about what amazing chickens they are, which I think is is something to pay attention to. Yeah. If you want a good family bird that's going to lay more eggs than your average big bird, uh-huh. it's a different looking chicken that's going to look good in your backyard. It's going to be friendly. They're so pretty. I really, really love them. I'm not surprised they're showing up with more breeders now. Yeah. I mean, they deserve to be super popular. Oh, yeah. I did a Google search. I found a few breeders in the UK and Canada, so you can get them there. Most hatcheries and several small farm breeders do carry the Bielefelders in the U.S. You will not have trouble finding them, but you probably want to get that order in before they sell out. Yeah. I honestly can't get over how pretty they are. The roosters are gorgeous. The hens are so pretty. What do we say about this chicken? It's a great family bird. That's going to end up in my flock. (laughs) 
Well, we didn't say it. We don't have to say it anymore. We really Everyone don't. Knows. Everybody just knows that. There's a check mark next to the Biela Feller. Okay, so yeah. Biela Feller, if you have this chicken, send us some pictures. We would love to see him or her. The boys are really pretty. Oh, the roosters are beyond gorgeous. They're very handsome. Yeah. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Are you looking for a vintage small farm feel for your egg packaging this year? Or are you looking to develop a unique brand image with custom packaging? The A Carton Store offers a wide variety of recyclable cartons, customizable stamps, poultry care products, and a robust customizing tool to design your own labels. Plus, they offer fast, free shipping on all cartons and labels. Visit eggcartonstore.com for all of your egg carton, label, stamp, and poultry care needs this spring. So this week, we have combined our main topic and our frack in the eggs. We have a special guest with us. We have Amy Adams, the registered dietitian from and, the Boston area. And chicken mom. And we sat down with her to talk chickens and to talk eating eggs and how healthy they can be for us she in our diet. She had some great information for us. And she had a really cool recipe for crack in the eggs. So let's bring in Amy and enjoy. Hello, Amy. How are you doing today? Hi there. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's definitely our pleasure. It's so nice to actually meet you in person. We've been messaging back and forth and through email. So it's great to have you on the show. So you're definitely the first registered dietitian that we have spoken with. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and why you chose to follow that educational path? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I'm so happy to be on your podcast because it's not necessarily like a health and wellness podcast, I guess. So I really want to like bring what being a dietitian means to your listeners for sure. So a little bit about my background. So I actually had a really like rocky upbringing in relationship with food. I think a lot of women, especially women in the United States have poor body image. I know my mom was always dieting when I was growing up and just being around that diet culture and trying to fit in and like make my body look a certain way definitely made me have an awful relationship with food. And for those reasons, I actually saw my own dietitian when I was in middle school and high school, built a really great relationship with that dietitian. And I think a really big misconception about dietitians is that we just tell you guys to eat carrot sticks and lettuce for three <laughs> meals a day and that's it. But it's really about building a good relationship with healthy filling meals. So, so you, were, you were inspired by someone that's remarkable. It's amazing. I love yes. inspiration stories. And I love stories where you had a struggle. And then the person who helped you, you ended up saying, I want to do this. And I want to help somebody else. I love that. That's what makes the world go round. About how old were you when you knew that this was what you wanted to do? I would say it really started blossoming my sophomore year of high school. So yeah, I just, you know, read up on what it means to be a dietitian, which if you guys want me to go into a little bit of background on that, I'd love to, because not everyone can call themselves a dietitian. Everybody can call themselves a nutritionist. So you okay. can read a nutrition book and call yourself a nutritionist, but it takes a minimum of four years of schooling. So an undergraduate degree and a bachelor's of science, a unpaid, I want to emphasize that internship where yeah, you're okay. actually paying to work and then getting exposure to clinical nutrition. So through going into hospitals, nursing homes, food service management, community, which is like public health and outreach and private practice and counseling. So after you're done with all of that, then you can sit down and take your board exam. Hopefully you'll pass. And then you're on your way to becoming a superstar registered dietitian. I love it. It seems like it's a career that gives you an opportunity to be in a lot of different places. You can pick and choose where you want to go. Do you want to work in a hospital setting? Do you want to be a personal dietitian, a registered dietitian? It seems like a path that's branched into a lot of other pathways, which is amazing. 
Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I would imagine this also gives you the opportunity to really make a difference for some people who need help along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I actually worked in clinical nutrition for six years. That was my first job straight out of my bachelor's degree. So yeah, I saw a multitude of different chronic diseases. You know, I bounced around the hospital a little bit. So I was everywhere from intensive care units where people are on ventilators to a rehab floor where people who had extended stays were getting their life back together and becoming rehabilitated and able to go home at some point. So you can really make a difference in this profession, for sure. I love it. Yeah, it's really amazing. I love the opportunity in it. Because I have a 17-year-old, he's going to be going to college next year. (laughs) I look at all these different... You're kind of focused on this. Well, no, yeah. I look at all those different career pathways and say, oh, wow, you go to school for this. You have a lot of opportunity out there. All that aside, you come out of school, you work, you become a chicken lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, somehow it rolled into that. So do you have chickens and what got you started with chickens and what breeds do you have? So the thing that I didn't tell you guys is that I actually got laid off in 2019 from my job at a long-term care facility, which was a blessing in disguise, actually, because I could not imagine being a healthcare worker right now in the current state of the world. I have the utmost respect for healthcare workers. And this actually pushed me into a different trajectory. And I now work with students and I work remotely, which is great. I get to work from home. So in 2020, I began gardening like most people during the pandemic. And weirdly enough, like I don't think there's enough emphasis on agriculture and actually growing food and nutrition. It's a very clinical focus when you go through school. So my husband, on the other hand, is great with plants, loves indoor plants, planting any kind of vegetable outside. So he really like forced me actually to go out and garden. And from there in 2020, just realizing how we could live more sustainably and not rely on the grocery store as much and, you know, really just like give back to the environment From there in 2021, I was like, okay, let's upgrade this. We're getting chickens. So we got chickens last year. And it's funny because around this time last year was when I started listening to you guys and I learned so much. So we have 10 chickens total. Nice. We have, yeah, we have six Buff Orpingtons and we have... breed. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. I'm not going to say too much about them because I know what you guys are going to ask me later on and I want to talk about them. But yeah, so I love the Buff Orpingtons. And then we have three Black Australorps, which weirdly enough, when I first started researching chickens, I found that the Black Australorps seemed to be a little bit more like family friendly and really easygoing. But I find that the Buff Orpingtons are like my more easygoing bird. It's hard to be a straight up Orpington. The Australorps were bred in Australia from Orpington. Yeah, I was going to say, they come from Orpington, right. so they're they were, kind of the same thing. They were bred a little more for the laying. Both super nice, but I really feel like you can't beat an Orpington for family-friendly. They're right. just the best. They were our first family chickens. I have two that are going on seven. Buff Orpingtons are the cuddly, sit-on-your-lap chicken. Yeah. Astralorps are basically the cousin of the Orpington. So yeah, pretty much. They are kind of just as cuddly. So we actually rescued a rooster last year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was definitely a helicopter mom when I first got the chicken. So like I needed somebody else there to help like watch over my flock for me. Otherwise, I would have literally been like outside all day, every day, just watching them. So back in August, we got Merle. Merle, we're not really actually sure entirely what he is since we rescued him and his family from before didn't know. So what Amy did was she sent us a picture. Yes. Sure. My favorite rabbit hole. Yes. So yeah, I do think Merle is probably Bielefelder. He's gorgeous. He has the Creole barring. I was out in the field when I got the email from you. I was like, wait, a chicken with a breed ID. And I popped it open and I was like, wow, he is a looker. You got the right person on the job because she does not stop until she finds what he is. Yeah. As our listeners will know by now, we built this episode around the Bielefelder because we had not profiled them yet. I can't believe we haven't yet. I know. They're just an amazing, gorgeous German breed. You never know what you're going to get from a rescue, but that's a pretty awesome rescue right there. And I want to applaud you for rescuing. That is one thing that we showcase a lot on this show. Yeah. 
We love rescues in general. We love rescues <laughs> and we love rescue roosters. That's for sure. Absolutely. They need some help and assistance along the way. So that's amazing. So thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. He's helped me out so much. He's the best rooster I could have asked for too, which is That's fantastic. Funny. And how is his temperament with you? Are you able to handle him? No, <laughs> um, <laughs> not at all. We're getting there. He's warming up to me. And it's funny because he's much better with my husband and my husband is not the one who takes care of them. So I'm the one that fills the water, does the food, does the straw and everything. And for some reason, he just has it out for me. <laughs> so wow. I'm not sure now, if you guys he... have any advice on that. I was going to ask, do you take him away from the girls at all? I do not. That's our number one suggestion mm. to you. He needs to come away from the girls and have his own time with you. Yeah. He may be putting you in the category as one of his girls. It's possible that he's doing that. It's also possible that because you're the person in the yard the most, he sees you as the biggest obstacle to maintaining his peaceful flock. Right. Could be either one, but you can take him off the perch at night and okay. spend some quality time with him. Bring him in, yep. let him sit on your lap, yep. pet him for an hour give them some treats, and then put them back out on the perch. Sounds Roosters good. who are not with their girls are totally different animals yeah. than with their girls because their natural instinct is to protect those girls. They are hardwired for that. They are. True. They are for sure. So yeah. taking them away from that is the number one key and spending alone time with him. If he's super, super bad, you can actually give him a temporary timeout, like a few days away from the girls where you're working with him one-on-one -on -one, and we're quoting Jenny, make him earn back his ladies. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. If you keep him away from them, that's the key. He can't see them. I don't even think he should hear them. We um, spoke with Jenny from Lipstick and Chickens. She has a lot of experience with handling roosters and house roosters right. and different things. She has always said rooster timeouts work for her. Yes. It lets their brain sort of recenter itself without being a wash in the testosterone that's always triggered when they're trying to defend the girls. Also, as he gets a little bit older, he will be easier yeah, for you to handle because more. hormonally he's Perfect. at a heightened state between birth and a year and a half. After a year and a half, the testosterone slowly comes down and that natural instinct mm -hmm. to protect the girls will slowly come down. He won't stop doing his job, but you'll be able to handle him a little right. bit more. He might give you the stink eye, but he's not going to try to chase you. That works for me. <laughs> we will have your website, which is Backyard RD, linked in the show notes. Listeners can find your podcast in the same spot. But if you look through your website and your blog entries, you're very focused on eating sustainably. So what does that mean for the average person and how do the chickens and the gardening come into that? Yeah, great question. So I think sustainability, especially in this day and age, is really like one of those buzzwords right now. Yeah. So I love that you asked, like, what does that mean to the average person? So I, out of anybody, know how in this day and age, our modern society, we're very busy. I'm working full time. I'm doing my podcast, my blog, working on a graduate degree and everything. So I know that there's people out there who are similar to me and that you're juggling many different hats. And I know people with children as well. So eating sustainably really for the average person just means investigating your food, understanding where it's coming from. I would say that's the first thing you want to make note of looking at food labels. So what does free range mean? What does certified humane mean? Just looking and investigating and really understanding because to be completely honest with you guys, a lot of the food labeling is just really a marketing tactic versus yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. just, yeah, just trying to inform the masses. So I would say that's your first step. Just focus on understanding where my food comes from, looking at brands. If I'm buying out at the grocery store, do these brands align with my morals and what I think of as like sustainable and environmentally friendly? And then other than that, you know, just meeting your local farmers. I think that's so important. I think there's a huge disconnect. And this was kind of what like sparked me in 2020, because I'll admit I had a huge disconnect too of understanding where our food is actually produced and who is producing it and how it's produced. The craziest thing for me, even having my bachelor's in nutrition, I didn't even know how to grow like tomatoes outside or something like that. 
And then your question about being a chicken keeper and being sustainable. So I think chickens are probably one of the most sustainable. I mean, I'm biased, but I think they're (laughs) the most sustainable animal we have on planet Earth. So food waste is a huge issue in our country. And I think for me anyways, it's been great to not just discard my food at the end of the day in the trash and be able to actually go outside and give my chicken food scraps. So any kind of vegetable, which is really crazy because I think when we think of, you know, harming the environment and how our food supply harms the environment, we always think of like that industrial, like large animal operations, right? Like big so ag like model, yeah. Yep. Big ag, exactly. And of course that does harm our environment, but food scraps, which go into the landfill actually produce methane gas. Right. So the food scraps that we're getting rid of are essentially leading to a less sustainable world. So I think chickens are super sustainable, not only for eating our food scraps, but also working in the garden, getting rid of pests that can harm our vegetables that we're trying to grow and eat. So I think they're amazing. They really are. And then the treasure at the end of all that is eggs. Yeah. Yes. Eggs. Totally forgot. the other thing that's the treasure teaching our children to care for an animal that gives them back something that's a sustainable food and and teaching them respect for these animals. And they're right in your backyard. So you're controlling what these animals are eating. You're controlling what they have in their bodies so that you know when you have a backyard egg, it's nothing that's going to hurt you. It's 100% natural and pure. Whatever you've given your chicken is coming back through that egg. I think there was a big boom right around when you're talking and we talk about the big chicken boom. It became kind of posh to have chickens and and their eggs. And because of the circumstances in the world, food security became a very hot button issue. Yeah, for sure. I think food security is one of the major things that created the chicken boom. I agree. But then in the end, it puts chickens in a place where you grow to love them. Not just because that, they lay eggs. I think that is the single biggest thing that people who are like, I want to get chickens for the sustainability. I want to get chickens to teach my kids, to supply us with some food. And then they end up crazy in love with their chickens. Yes. And it's just one of those amazing unintended side it's effects. It's like an aha moment. Yeah. Yes. You start with the one day chicks and then they're your babies. And then you go through and you're like, this chicken is more than just an egg. I want to learn everything about this chicken. They're just... I talk too much about how amazing they are. Can you talk too much about how amazing a chicken is? No No. way. No way. I mean, for sure. So they give us all these eggs. It kind of moves us into the next question. There are so many myths out there about egg eating. And we're kids of the 80s when that whole big myth started. Yeah. You can only eat two eggs a week because it's going to put your cholesterol up. Right. They aren't good for you. Can you tell us how eggs can fit into a healthy diet and especially backyard chicken eggs versus the eggs that you can get at the store? Great question. So just a little bit of background on like the historical aspect of that. And Holly, you can jump in because I know you have a historical studies degree. So back in 1968, the American Heart Association put out basically what you just said. So saying that they're recommending that all individuals consume less than 300 milligrams of dietary cholesterol per day, which equates to no more than those three eggs per week that you were discussing. So this all kind of stemmed from the 50s. In the 50s, the food kind of changed in America, right? We had women going into the workforce. And I think it was 1953 where the first TV dinner came out. So we're focused much more on quick sources of food, really convenienced and packaged food. Exactly. And yeah, so then in the 60s, doctors were looking at well, why are we seeing like an uptick in cardiovascular issues? And to me, it kind of seems like they missed the mark and perhaps it was not necessarily the eggs or the saturated fat, but the packaged foods that we were eating, right? Yeah. Processed Um, processed foods. Yeah, absolutely. So somewhere in the mix, eggs became demonized because they are high in cholesterol. A large egg produces about 178 milligrams of cholesterol, which is pretty high, but more recent research that has come out. So we're talking from 1968 
all the way up until now 2015, the American Heart Association, and this is their current stance, is saying that one egg per day is perfectly fine. So they absolutely abolished those cholesterol guidelines. And more research has actually come out showing that cholesterol itself is not what is creating a cholesterol or a plaque buildup in the body. It's more of other lifestyle factors such as smoking, inactivity, different kinds of chronic diseases that can all coincide and create this plaque buildup. So all the way from, you know, 1968 up until 2015, eggs have definitely been demonized. Um, We went through it. I remember my mom saying to me, do you remember? Yes. yes. Basically like, this is your third egg this week. You can't eat any more eggs this week. And even as a kid, we ate so many eggs because that it all came out. And I'd be like, I loved hard boiled eggs because it was a snack. My mom would boil them and stick them in the fridge. And she would say, go eat a piece of bread or an egg if you're hungry. She's like, you already had three. I'm like, what? We would eat eggs most days. I mean, honestly, thinking through what you just said, and I love the history. You were spot on with all of it. Most of my life, and I'm 49, I've eaten two eggs a day. That's what my mom tended to serve us. And, you know, I always had chickens as an adult, two eggs a day. I have lots of other issues, but cholesterol is not one of them. I've never had high cholesterol, ever. There you go. The other thing that we want to approach is the fact that Chickens who are in an industrial setting versus chickens who are living in your backyard actually have only a third of the cholesterol of an industrial chicken. I think it all has to do with their diet and their exercise and everything else. They're healthier. Yeah, you're completely correct. A couple of studies I looked at. So I looked at a 2010 study by Penn State and also a 2010 study by the Department of Poultry Science from North Carolina State University. And to summarize, I'm not going to go through all the nitty gritty details of the study, but to summarize, they came up with the fact that pasture raised or those hens that were able to, you know, just be hens, forage, just live their life, not be in an industrial commercial operation that humans are creating for them. These eggs actually produce more vitamin A, which is super important for vision, growth and reproduction, vitamin E, which I'll talk about a little bit later, beta carotene and omega-3 fatty acids, which are super healthy for our cardiovascular health. And it's funny because a couple of days before today, I was actually on Instagram and somebody that I follow had posted a brand new study just came out January, 2021. And they looked at one dozen eggs from four different kinds of operations. Yeah, super interesting. So first was a conventional operation. So that would be like your factory farming with hens who are not able to forage outside. The next was a free range organic commercial operation. So those eggs that you would find in the store that say free range and organic. And then pasture-raised small farms. So that would be like the kinds of chickens and the operations that you and I have, small backyard farms. And then there was a larger farm. So it was hens who were confined to, I say confined loosely, it was 20 acres under a hoop house. So yeah, so they actually found that the hens that were able to forage and actually had access to pasture, they had a higher percent of those omega-3 fatty acids and also branch chain fatty acids, which are important for our body. So on top are eating. (laughs) Yes. All those bugs, the grass, everything. They're getting all their good stuff that they need to get. And I always say the exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one thing that I did note in all these studies was that the ones that were able to be pastured and be chickens, they were actually leaner and they didn't produce as many eggs. But that is the whole idea behind this commercial farming is to fan up the chickens, get them to produce eggs at a really high rate. So I don't really see that as a negative. I think leaner chickens, less eggs and happier hens. I don't exactly. see that being an issue. Those are perfectly fine things to well, strive if for. if we look yeah. back before the 50s, almost every house had a backyard flock and produced their own eggs. And then to go into industrialism 
and that big boom change. It's actually true. And if they didn't have eggs in the backyard, they lived in the city and they had access to farmers eggs markets from the I mean, market. Right. It would not have been an industrial farm at that point. Exactly. Have, you know? I always talk about this. My great grandparents were immigrants from Italy and they were poultry farmers. That's what they did. They supplied a lot of Maryland with eggs. They had lots and lots of chickens and their chickens were just on a big old farm. And that was in the 40s, up until the early 50s. Well, what happened in the 1950s? That was post-World War II. That was exactly. Yeah. And now we're going back. We're recycling back. We talked about this so much, but it's so important to teach our kids and teach everybody, actually, that a natural way of life is the way we want to live. And it's going to make us all happier in the long run. You get to love and hug on your chickens that give you eggs. That's fascinating with the four farms. I can definitely send you guys that study too. So that would be great. I'd love to link that. Yeah, Yeah. that would be really great. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show you that quality of life for people, for animals, it does make a huge difference. Oh, it does. And that's part of our mission in all of this is to recognize the chicken and give them the top-notch quality of life that we can offer them. Whether it's medical care or affection or all these different things. The chance to be a chicken. The chance to, yes. yeah. Let chickens be chickens. The chickens be chickens, bugs. yeah. Yeah, you know, seriously. I've seen my chickens take down some gross stuff, but you know what? They're happy. <laughs> when Bubbles ate that mouse, oh, dear, I no. almost died. Oh, gosh. <laughs> like, oh, I know no. what happens. I just don't want to yeah. see that. I right. That's how I am, too. My eyes were burned. <laughs> So scientifically speaking, what do these eggs that we love so much do for our bodies? Nutritional support, what do they do? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the one thing that comes to mind, which a lot of your listeners are probably thinking is protein, right? Right. Um, so eggs provide us with a high biological value protein. I think it varies because different eggs produce different components, sure. but in general, one large egg is about six to seven grams of protein. And when I say high biological value protein, I mean that this is protein that the body can readily absorb and use. So we know that plants provide protein, you know, beans, other things like that, but that is not necessarily readily absorbed by the body. So definitely high biological value protein. Other than that, looking at the egg yolk in particular, which again, demonized for its cholesterol, but it contains two components, which are carotenoids. So you can think of carotenoids like carrots. So like the orangish yellow color of that yolk, it produces the carotenoids known as lutein and zeaxanthin. Oh, right. And lutein and zeaxanthin are really important for eye health. So yes. there's studies that show that it reduces macular degeneration, which macular degeneration is essentially when the retina kind of like deteriorates and that can lead to poor vision. And then really interestingly, it also helps to filter out blue light. So I'm talking to you on a screen right now. I'm looking at my cell phone. These are all things that damage our eyes and lutein and zeaxanthin help to filter out that blue light and really support our eye health. I did not know that. No, I didn't know any of that. I love it. It really is fascinating. Wow. So for healthy eyes, eat those eggs. Yes. There you go. Other than that, talking about heart health, omega-3s. So I mentioned that the pasture-raised eggs have a higher level of omega-3s in them, which across the board, all the studies I looked at came to that same conclusion. So these are essential fats. So our body cannot make omega-3s. It needs to get it from food sources. So Other food sources other than eggs, we're looking at like walnuts, flax seeds, leafy greens. So unfortunately, not a lot of things that are in our standard American diet. I hate to use that term, but for your listeners. Yes, avocado included in that? Yeah, avocado. So think of like a Mediterranean diet, basically with all those great fats. So omega-3 fatty acids are really responsible for creating our hormones and regulating blood clotting. They've also been linked to lower blood pressure and really supporting our blood vessels overall. So it's interesting that, you know, these eggs have been demonized and looked down upon for their cholesterol, but with these omega-3s, they actually really help our heart in general. Everyone talks about healthy fats and non-healthy fats. 
we're big avocado lovers. I'm like, okay, it's good fat though. It's good for you. Yeah. I, know, like, I know they're not local or anything like that, but holy moly, are they good. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> they yes. Perfectly with eggs. They go with eggs. I My know. loves avocado toast with hard boiled eggs on it. It's like his favorite. I'm like, okay, this is just like a heart healthy on a plate. Like here you go. It's heart healthy planning on a plate. Right. But yeah, it's fascinating it's, to hear all these things. Especially yeah. to me as a historian, because it just shows you the power of propaganda. Yeah, how, how effectively the eggs were demonized and largely removed from the American diet. That's yeah, fascinating yeah. to me. Even with yes. big industry, that kills me. Yeah. Because they're killing their own industry with that. Right. I mean, industry. it just takes one or two doctors who did the research to say, oh, sorry, eggs are bad. And then it starts all their propaganda. You could probably write a dissertation on fluctuations in the egg market because of propaganda, totally. misinformation, right. et cetera, et cetera. And our parents were the victims of that as we grew up in the 80s. Not my I mean, mom. She had those eggs every day. I tell you, she still does. <laughs> I had eggs in my pasta. Every time we had pasta, we had hard-boiled eggs with yeah. in oh, the pasta so sauce. And that's and, very and much Italian, a, very Italian. Oh, it's very much okay. a peasant food thing. Yeah. And yeah. It, it beefed it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It gave you a protein when you didn't have it meat. Was, Recipes that where you see hard-boiled eggs included in the pasta tend to come from Sicily yes. and the south, southern part of Italy. Very rustic food of the common people. My mom lived neighboring on the same farm as her grandparents, my great-grandparents, and they were the poultry farmers. So they had so many eggs that eggs went into everything. So we kind of grew up with that. And then it was like the 80s, hey, you can only have three eggs. She's like, oh, no, you can't have any more eggs. I'm like, oh, man. Now we're back to where it is. And eggs are good in everything. They're good for you. You can feel good about eating them because you're taking care of your own chickens. Right. right? And I think Holly brings up a good point. I kind of like chuckled when you said peasant. I don't mean to, but it's really a high biological protein that's also pretty cheap to produce. That's me being a crotchety old historian because I really shouldn't say peasant food. My family were probably peasants too. It really is a food of the common people. Everyone got to keep chickens, you know, across the board. You had a lot of eggs. Yeah. So right now I have a lot of bantams who are laying and I did some research on the bantam egg. I was really curious about the average protein and calories in a bantam egg versus a large egg. And the average protein in a bantam egg is actually four grams because there's such a high yolk to white ratio in those little eggs. I just thought that was a fascinating little aside. That is, it's always like the yolk is much larger than the white. And because of the large yolk to white ratio, there are 45 calories and four grams of protein. You wouldn't think a tiny bantam would be that much, but it's because of all the protein. That's right. They're small and mighty. That's amazing. Okay. So the next question that we want to ask so you have your own little homestead and you have chickens and you're growing lots of veggies. Can you give us your best tip for homesteading? Yeah, great question. So I'd say the first thing would be don't get discouraged. We had a really awful growing season last year in Massachusetts. It was super cold around like 50 degrees Memorial Day weekend and really wet. So unfortunately, our vegetables didn't grow as well. And then just really like understanding what you can personally handle. You know, I mentioned working full time, raising kids, different things like that. So just understanding what you're capable of putting in effort to. We know that chickens take a lot of time and it's a responsibility and you have to honor that. Right now, I know personally, I'm trying to get my husband to buy goats. He's <laughs> He is not team goat. Maybe we can convince him on this podcast. Chickens are the but, gateway animal. <laughs> you right? want actually, yes. I'm totally biased, but you want sheep instead of goats. Oh, they don't try sheep. to get out as much and they're beyond sweet and adorable. And you know, if you know the one who hand spins wool, they might share some yarn with you. Holly has five sheep That's and my husband said he's moving out if I get sheep. So... <laughs> Yeah, I have to live through Holly and sheep at her ass. All kidding aside, <laughs> although I will advocate for sheep over Baby goats doll every sheep. single time. Did you want the goats for milk or anything yes. like that? Mil- milk, yeah. I, like you guys, I'm a huge coffee drinker and I can't take my coffee without milk. So goat milk would be amazing. I also make soap. So I nice. need that, that goat milk soap. And you mentioned, you know, sheeps aren't necessarily like escape artists. So 
That was what I was really going to say about this is that we live on about an acre. So we have space, but our yard is poorly fenced in. So the fence is perfectly fine for chickens, but I'm thinking with goats, they're going to get out somehow. Goats are the escape artists of all escape <laughs> artists. They really are. They are they're actually, cute, they really are cute. And there's nothing cuter than a baby goat. But there are some amazing dairy sheep breeds as well. The Frisians are one um, big black sheep that are absolutely beautiful. Yeah. That's so amazing. So Amy, do you have a favorite egg recipe that you would like to share with us and we can share with our listeners? Yes, absolutely. So my mother actually makes a great pizza egg bake which I don't know if you guys have had before. And this is a great recipe, especially, you know, over the spring and summer when you have a buildup of eggs, this takes six eggs. So you can make this healthy as the dietitian on the show. I think I'm going to say you can make it healthy by adding some vegetables and possibly cutting back on some of the fat and everything, but it does take obviously a good amount of eggs. So it's going to take four slices of bread. I have not tried this with wheat bread. My mom swears by the white bread. So I've never made it with wheat bread, which I want to do. So four slices of white bread, six eggs, two cups of milk. Again, you can go full fat, whole milk, or go down to 2% or 1%. I would not recommend skim milk just because you want that bold flavor. And then one block of sharp cheddar cheese, which you can also, since it's a pizza recipe, you don't necessarily have to use the sharp cheddar cheese. You can use mozzarella, which would make it a little bit more pizza-y. And then a bottle or rather a can of pizza sauce too. And if you want to make your own, if you have some nice Italian pizza sauce recipe, you can definitely do that too. That's amazing. That's so good. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry. I know. I know. my life right now. And then, of course, adding in vegetables. So get some broccoli, some onions, peppers, tomatoes, anything in there. So we're going to start off by buttering a nine-inch baking dish. Then you're going to tear up your bread. So take your white bread, tear it all up, put it in the bottom. If you're doing a sausage or any kind of meat, you're going to want to brown that. Otherwise, I would suggest just browning up and sauteing your vegetables, olive oil, of course. And then you're going to put all of that in there, put your shredded mozzarella cheese on top of that, beat the eggs and the milk, pour that all on top. And then you're going to want to put the pizza sauce on top of that. And for this recipe, you'll bake it at 350 degrees for 45 to 55 minutes. That sounds delicious. There you go. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. I could see dropping. Have you ever seen in the store the little mini mozzarella balls? I could see dropping them on top Ooh. too. Yeah. With a little bit of like a Italian fresh... seasoning. Yeah, that sounds good. Like some fresh herbs from the garden. Wow. Like so yummy. I mean, you could eat that breakfast, lunch, or dinner. You could. Yeah. Breakfast Remember. pizza. The bakes always reheat very well too. So if you have yeah. it left, you can throw it in the microwave and reheat it the mm-hmm. next day or the day after. So make a knot that you can eat it for a few days. I love it. It's amazing. It does sound amazing. So, so we ask everybody this question. It's very unfair, but we're going to ask you anyway. I'm ready for it. What is your favorite breed of chicken? So I would definitely say, obviously, because I have them, the Buff Orpington. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. I think they're like the cute, cuddly chickens of all the chickens. Definitely have a great temperament. Very easygoing. And then it's funny because I was actually just listening to your episode with Camille and Brie last night, and I knew you guys were going to ask this, right? So I was like, oh, I have to come up with something other than my own chicken. And I was like, I love silkies. And then Camille said silkies, and I was like, well, no, I can't say silkies, but I'm going to say silkies. (laughs) You can Um, say silkies. You can say silkies. I love silkies too. They're really cute. My neighbor has silkies and it's great because when we go away, she watches our chickens. And when she goes away, I watch hers and she has totally different, like mixed breeds. She has some Rhode Island reds, barred rocks, um, and then two rooster silkies. And like Camille said, I think they're just like angry little men that are just like (laughs) shuffling around with a toupee or like, I don't know. They just look so funny to me. It's true. They're like, oh, oh, I'm just so extra. Yes, they are extra. Yeah. I love when the silky roosters crow. It cracks me up every time. Yep. They're so It reminds me because I'm a dog person too. So it reminds me of like those tiny dogs that have like tiny dog syndrome where they just think they're so much bigger than they are. Hilarious. 
that's a lot of the bantam roosters. They're so funny. <laughs> so this has just been the most fun conversation and you have given us some fascinating stuff. So we're wondering, what are your plans for the future? Anything good coming up? We're going to add some more chickens to our flock this year, which I'm excited about. I'm sure you guys are supporting that. So Yes, we um, are. And then professionally, I work with students right now. I love my full-time job, so I want to stick with that. But I am on the side, you guys know, creating this blog and my podcast. I think there's such a disconnect in the nutrition world between nutrition and agriculture. So I really want to marry that. And that's what I'm trying to do with my blog to just get some nutrition information and some agricultural information out there to everyone, because I think there's so many different misconceptions with nutrition. And I think it's really important that dietitians can put themselves in that place to disseminate all the information that we know, right? And also bring sustainability and just agriculture and kind of marry all those together. So I definitely want to continue blogging and eventually maybe roll into private practice and do some counseling. I think my dream job would be to like counsel on a farm, which I think could be really oh, wow. cool to That's actually, yeah, to actually get people to grow things and learn about how they're grown and how to cultivate and cook and everything. I think that would be like my long-term goals. That is absolutely fantastic. I love it. It has been a delight talking to you. I will have all of your information linked in our show notes. People can find you under Backyard RD. That's your handle for Instagram. On Instagram. Yep, Backyard RD. Okay. So we want to thank you. We would love to have you back on the show at another point. You can tell us about the new breeds you got and how things are progressing with your blog and your podcast. It was such a fun interview. Yeah, it was really great. Thank yeah, you so much. Thank you guys so on. much. It was a pleasure to meet you. We can't wait to talk soon. We always love making friends with everyone. We have met some amazing women this past year. You go right into that category. I love what you do, and I love that you're educating everyone. And just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Just want to say thank you again to Amy. That was an absolutely fantastic interview. We had such a good time talking to her. You can find Amy's blog and her podcast in our show notes, BackyardRD.com. Yep. You can follow her over on Instagram also. It's the same as her handle, BackyardRD. And I know that Amy has new chicks coming, including a buff Brahma. Oh. So yeah, give her a follow. Thank you, She's Amy. She's got great stuff. Yeah, yeah thank it was you, great Amy. to meet her. Okay, so now we're going to move on to Retail Therapy. Retail Therapy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This week for Retail Therapy, we're going to do something a little <laughs> different. The marketing department of Candlewick Press emailed us a while back and asked us if we wanted to review, review a children's book. Yes. Right. Candlewick Press is a really fantastic independent press that publishes children's books for the most part. And they sent us some books. And this week, we're going to review The Interrupting Chicken Cookies for Breakfast. This is so cute. So this is one that Magpie loves to sit down and read with me. We should also mention this is a sequel. The first book is Interrupting Chicken. Yes. So we have the sequel and it's so cute. The artwork is adorable, although it makes me laugh because these chickens have the biggest combs ever. They're very large combs. The illustrations in this book are wonderful for little children. Yeah. And as we all know, the mini helper comes over and helps me with the chickens multiple times a week. So when we review the children's books, I sit down and I read them with her and show them and see how she reacts. And she really liked it. The story goes about a little chicken who comes in to wake up his papa way too early in the morning and wants to have cookies for breakfast. And instead they read books. And what they do is they start reading nursery rhymes. Yeah. So it introduces the nursery rhymes in with the story. Right. And it's just a really cute story between a parent and a little chicken. It's super fun. My niece and nephew are older now, but they would have been all over this book at that yeah. age. So the author is David Ezra Stein, and you can get these interrupting chicken books on Amazon. So not only does David Ezra Stein write this adorable story, he does these illustrations himself. With the very large combs. Yeah, with the very large combs. And it's such a cute book. It's such a great story. And it's a great one to read to your little ones. And you know what? It brings in chickens, say that you have in your backyard. It brings that whole thing around. We have everything chicken that you can know of. Maybe. 
So the little ones want the same. They love taking care of the chickens. We see so many cute pictures on Instagram of kids hugging and taking care of the chickens. So having a story to tell that actually includes the chickens is amazing. And the pictures are great. And like I said, I really like the fact that it incorporates the nursery rhymes. Uh So they kind of learn the nursery rhymes along with it. I would say a young child, the mini helpers three. So I would say from three to probably six. Yeah, I would agree. I like this one a lot because it's a positive story with a happy ending. I love that. As a former librarian, I will tell you, sometimes you start to read a children's book and you get a nasty surprise halfway through. Yeah. Like, this is not what I bargained for. There is this whole big thing that everybody thinks children's books are lollipops and unicorns, and they're not. Not always. So this book is one that you're not going to have that surprise like in there. Like if your kid's upset or feeling down or you need them to calm down at the end of the night, this is just a good positive story to read. You don't have to deal with big, huge, heavy themes in here. Exactly. And like you said, the illustrations are so adorable with the chickens. We were trying to figure out, we were like, what breed are these little red chickens? I don't know if they're meant to be Rhode Island Reds. Could be. But they have the comb <laughs> of like a massive leghorn. I don't know. It looks like a sword to it's me. It's a unicomb. <laughs> it's a unicomb. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a lot of artistic license in the drawing of the chickens, but they are really super cute. And a big thank you to Candlewick Press for sending these out. For oh, yeah. Review. Magpie, that's what I call my goddaughter slash niece slash mini helper. She actually loves them. So thank you for sending us these books. And if you have little ones from birth up to about age six or seven, they're going to love this book. And it incorporates chickens. So it's one that you can find as a story about chickens. Yeah. So we should tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week. Next week, we are spotlighting the heritage breed Delaware chicken. Yes, and for a special reason. We're talking to Penny of Happy Days Farm. I'm sure everyone has seen this Instagram account and loves it. If you don't know who Penny is, head over to the blog Happy Days Farm. There's tons and tons of fantastic information and articles there. You don't want to miss it. Cracking the eggs, Penny's sharing her recipe for a $300 cake. Oh my gosh. It's good stuff. And retail therapy, we're going to Cracker Barrel. Let me tell you, they have some amazing chicken stuff. Chock full of chicken goods. (laughs) So should we tell everybody what to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.